This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. As part of our multiplication month here at Broadcast, last week we had a hangout on how going for big is keeping you small. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to bring you the recording of that hangout. You can get all the details, the notes and everything that was said, plus access to the Q&A that followed the hangout at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 49. We also have another hangout planned this month, and that will be on Thursday, October the 27th, where we'll be joined by Steve Addison, and we'll be talking about how we can multiply disciples and churches. You can find out more information about that hangout at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. So here is how going for big is keeping you small. A little while ago, I was having a conversation with somebody who leads a church. And um, I'll tell you a bit about this guy's situation. So he's got a church of probably around 50 people. And this church is in the middle of a small town. And this guy was really trying to think about, well, well, what do I do next? What's the next step uh, in the journey of my church? And one of the things that he really uh, wanted to do was start to reach some of the other towns near where he was. So um, around this area, there were lots of other uh, small towns of a similar size to his. There wasn't uh, a big city for quite a way away, but there were lots of these little towns that he wanted to reach. Um, But he was also looking at his own situation and saying, at the moment, there are just 50 of us here. We really could do with our church getting a bit bigger. If we want to reach our area, we need to be a big church first. We need to be stronger. We need to have more people. We need to have more ministries. We need to have more money. We need to have more resources. And from this strong base, we'll then be able to reach the surrounding area. So he was wrestling with what to do at the moment. How much of his resources does he put into uh, his church as it is, trying to grow it, trying to make it thrive in the town that he is? And how much of his resources does he invest in trying to reach the other places nearby? And the question that he was wrestling with is one that's probably familiar to many of us who are listening. Most of us who lead churches want to see our churches doing well. We want to see more people. We want to see growth. We want to see lots of ministries. And we want to see the kingdom of God having a big impact through our church on the people in the area that we are. But most of us also, if we're leading churches, have a heart that goes beyond just our own church. Most of us do want to see a big region impacted. We do look at the places near us and think, if only we could do something there, if only we could start something amongst this group of people, that would make a big difference. And I suppose the easiest answer is actually we could do both. It'd be great if we could make our churches bigger and it would be great if we could start more churches. And um, to an extent, there'll be a bit of both in what we all do. But our resources are limited. There are only a certain amount of people in each of our churches. There's only a certain amount of leaders. There's only a certain amount of time that we have, a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of mental headspace to use. So if we've got these resources at our disposal, we need to decide what are we going to do with them? Are we going to put most of our resources into growing our church big 
Or are we going to put most of our resources into starting new churches and trying to spread a movement into the areas where we live? And both of these things actually would be good things to do. If we put our resources into making our church bigger, well, a big church is better than a small church, isn't it? It's more people impacted for God. It's more um, effect for the kingdom in your area. So making your church big is good. But also starting new churches is good. Two churches is better than one. Ten churches is better than two. So if we can multiply and start things, that's good as well. So we're talking about two good options that we have. Growing big or multiplying. It's not a bad option and a good option. It's two good options. But what I'm hoping to convince you of tonight is out of those two good options, there's one good option and there's one even better option. Okay, I'm wanting to convince you that multiplication is better than addition. I'm going to do it in two ways. So I'm going to start off and just do this briefly uh, by trying to convince you strategically. So my background is in maths. I've worked as a maths teacher. That's what my degree was in. I'd like to just run the numbers with you and show you that actually multiplication can eat addition for breakfast. But then after we've done that, we're going to spend most of our time actually looking at it biblically. We're going to look at what is God's growth dynamic. In the scriptures, how does God grow his people. And we'll have a look at that. And then if there's time at the end, uh, we might share a few practical thoughts about multiplying churches as well. So uh, we'll start off with the strategic. And I'd like you to imagine a scenario. So to do it, I'm just going to um, just share a slide or two with you, if I may. So just bear with me while I bring this up. So let's go into PowerPoint slides and you should be able to see how going for big is keeping you small. And I would like you to imagine a scenario where you have just planted a church and you have a core team of 20 people. OK, so um, we will put it up here. OK, and I'm contrasting addition growth on one side with multiplication growth on the other. So if we start with addition, you started with your core team of 20. And let's say you invest all your resources into growing that church bigger and you try to get as many people as you can to join you. And let's say over the course of a year, you were able to add 50 new people to that church. Okay, So that means a year down the road, your church of 20 has turned into a church of 70. But let's imagine now there's another church. It starts with 20 people, the same as the first one. But this church wants to invest in multiplication. And they say over the first year, our big priority is going to be to start another church of 20 people as well as ourselves. And let's say doing that puts a big dent on the amount they're able to grow by. So to resource another church being sent out, instead of growing by 50 people, this church is now only able to grow by 10 people in their first year. So now we've got the original church, which has grown to 30, and a new church of 20. So if you look at this, it would seem to anyone um, kind of observing these numbers, like the church that's grown by addition is doing better, okay? because there's 70 people there. Whereas in the multiplication church, yes, there's two churches, but even combined, there's only 50 people in them. So it seems like addition is doing better. And it's actually often the way that if you want to go for multiplication growth, you do take a bit of a hit. And if your big objective is to get short-term growth, then probably addition is the best way to grow. 
But if we run the numbers a bit further, we'll see that short-term growth isn't actually what's best in the long term. So after another year, the church that's been growing by addition, they can add another 50 people and they're up to 120. Whereas the churches that are growing by multiplication, now there's two churches. Each of these can start a new church of 20 people and grow by 10. So now we've got four churches. We've got one of 40, one of 30 and two of 20 each. So altogether, that would be 110 people. So it's still slightly behind the addition church. Well, if we do it another year, after three years now, the addition church is up to 170 people. And the multiplication churches, well, they've gone from now four churches to eight churches, varying between 50 and 20 in size. After another year, there's 220 in the churches added. And now we've got 16 churches in the multiplying church. And then finally, after five years, we've got 270 people in this church that's been steadily added. But the church that's been multiplying, now we've got 32 churches, okay, ranging in size from 70 to 20. So these are small churches. But if you actually combine how many people are in all these churches put together, it's around 950 people. Okay, So hopefully you can see that multiplication just starts to accelerate the growth in a way that addition can't keep up with. That's why I said multiplication eats addition for breakfast. Now, you may actually notice that these churches uh, that have been multiplied, the numbers in each church are pretty small. The biggest of them 70, the smallest of them is 20. And actually, even that biggest one of 70, that's where the addition church got to uh, after just one year. So if what we're looking for is how can we get the biggest church that we can, then sure, growing by addition is the way to do it. But if our question is, how can I get the biggest church I can? But actually, how can I have the biggest impact for the kingdom of God that I can? Then surely multiplication is the way to do it. They don't even come close. And so that's why the title of this hangout, How Going for Big is Keeping You Small. When your focus is just on building one church and trying to get it as big as you can, actually, that's keeping much smaller than it could be the impact you can have for the sake of the kingdom. If we're church planters, let's plant churches and let's plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. Let's multiply the church. Now, I realise that in doing this, I've picked some pretty uh, arbitrary numbers to say that a church grows by 50 people each year. Um, in a lot of settings, churches grow slower than that. In some settings, they grow faster. And to say that each church can start another church of 20 people every year. Again, that might seem unrealistic but it's just to kind of show you the power of multiplication it's just a, a demonstration of that but the same thing it works in real life I was talking to Colin Barron yesterday and over uh, his church planting ministry probably 25 30 years he's been at it but in that time he said he's been uh, influential in starting between 50 and 70 new churches okay between 50 and 70 churches and there's a total of two and a half thousand three thousand something like that when we were trying to um do the numbers this is a guy who's been multiplying churches throughout his ministry and he's had a huge impact and yet if you look at colin on a sunday you'll see him kind of like sitting in the middle of a piddly little room with kind of 30 or 40 people in there as he's kind of plowing on trying to get the next church going and then a few months later he's in another one trying to get the next 
church growth, but by multiplying like this, there, there's a um, an impact that uh, could have been kind of kept smaller and concentrated in one place, but it's just released and unleashed uh, to do huge things in changing this world for the sake of God's gospel. So hopefully strategically and numerically, you can see why multiplication might be better than addition. However, uh, numbers actually, I found, don't convince that many people. What we really need to see is, is God in this. Is this something that God would have us do? And I think if we get convinced from the Bible that this is God's way of growing, then hopefully it's something we can start to put into practice. So uh, let's go back to the beginning of Genesis and look when God made the world. A few Bible verses to share with you. So we'll, we'll start by talking about how God made the plants and how he made the trees. Uh, so Genesis 1 verse 11 says, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. So you notice God didn't just kind of make a tree and then make another tree and then make another tree and then make another tree and keep on going till he'd got all the trees that he wanted. He could have done it that way. That would be grown by addition, but he didn't. Okay? God chose to grow trees by multiplication. Okay? So he created fruit trees, uh, but then in the fruit, he put this seed. Okay? So the, the first generation of trees that he created, then uh, the seed would go out. And actually from this seed, the next generation of trees would come and it would be bigger. There'd be more trees in the second generation than the first. And then out of these trees, there'd be more seed and so more trees and more seed and more trees. God built reproduction into the way he created plants and trees. That's multiplication. And that's how trees and plants were to spread over all the earth. It was the same with the birds and the fish. In Genesis 1 verses 21 and 22, it says, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. You see, God didn't just make all the fish. He made some fish and told them, make some more fish and they should make some more fish. Same with the birds. The birds to multiply, fill the skies. And so it is with people. In Genesis 1.28, we hear uh, the commission that God gives to Adam and Eve. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But those first four words, be fruitful and multiply, that's God's commission to humanity. We're to fill the earth. When God creates something, he gives it the capacity to recreate after itself. He made people, told us to make more people. He made birds, told them to make more birds. He made fish, told them to make more fish. And as each generation goes to the next, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Multiplication is how God uh, created, actually. He made a few and then they were to make more and more and more. And we see this multiplication over the course of the Bible. Okay, It starts in just a garden, but in Revelation, it ends in a mega city with a multitude of people there. So God built this uh, dream of multiplication into creation. Now, we know that everything didn't go uh, perfectly. Humanity turned away from God and rebelled against him. But people kept on multiplying. And actually, God kept on having the dream of a people that he'd called out who would multiply on the earth. 
We see it in the patriarchs. God said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. That's God's promise to Abraham, that he's going to take him and multiply him, that he will make him the father of many nations. He says to Isaac, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. This is the same promise to Abraham, but reiterated now to Isaac to multiply his offspring. To Jacob, he says, I am God almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And we see over the course of the book of Genesis that God's people are doing what he's told them to do. They're multiplying. We trace the story through four generations. And this um, story started with just two people, Abraham and his wife, Sarah. But by the end of Genesis, the two have multiplied into 70. Okay, multiplication is at work. And then actually, um, when they get to Egypt, they're enslaved and they're there for 400 years. But during this time, they have continued to multiply. So at the start of the book of Exodus, it says the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And actually, in the book of Numbers, we're told that by the time the people were brought out of the Exodus, there were 603,550 fighting men. Okay, so this two people, Abraham and Sarah, multiplied into 70 and then they multiplied into, well, 600,000 fighting men. If you add women, if you had children, if you had the men who couldn't fight, we're probably looking at one and a half million, two million, something like that. Multiplying from two to 70 to one and a half million. That's incredible multiplication. But that's what God does with his people. Multiplication in the Old Testament is God's growth dynamic. And it's the same, actually, in the New Testament as well. A few months ago, we had a hangout where uh, where Colin was sharing about his life's message. And he was really talking about how Jesus was into multiplication. So uh, he, he based it around a verse in Mark chapter one, where Jesus was in Capernaum and things were going really well. He'd healed lots of people. Uh, he taught and people were coming from all around and wanted uh, a piece of Jesus. So it's a great place actually to set up a base and to grow a big ministry. And um, Peter and some of the other disciples were trying to persuade Jesus to do this but Jesus wouldn't have it and he said to them actually no I must go to the other villages and preach the gospel there but this is why I have come and actually over the three years of Jesus's earthly ministry he had a really specific mission so his mission was to get around preach the gospel in all the villages of Israel and then head to Jerusalem and to the cross so um, they went out. They wouldn't stay in that place and try to grow one big ministry. They wanted to go out and multiply it and have an impact for the kingdom in every village of this region, this um, nation of Israel that they were trying to reach. And actually, they found that as they were doing this, if they were to stay together as one big ministry team, they wouldn't be able to get to all the villages in the time that they had. So what Jesus chose to do is to multiply his ministry. He got his 12 disciples and he sent them out two by two. Okay, so instead of being one ministry team, there's now six ministry teams. And he said to them, go and do what I've been doing. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. So there's Jesus multiplying his ministry sixfold. But having done that, there still wasn't time to get to all the villagers. So then he called the 72 
and he sent them out two by two. So first we had a six-fold increase, but now we've got a 36-fold increase in Jesus's ministry. So that was how Jesus did it. But then after Jesus died and rose again and he was sending out his apostles, this is what he said to them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's Acts 1 verse 8. And these are the same people who Jesus had been talking to when he said, you're to go to the villages of Israel. You're to preach the gospel. You're to heal the sick. You're to cast out demons. Now he's expanding the scope of the mission. It's not just sending them out to the villages of Israel. He's now sending them out, yes, in Jerusalem and Judea, but also into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This mission, this multiplied ministry is now to go out to all places. It's to multiply to the end of the earth. Well, as we read the book of Acts, in the first uh, few chapters of it, we find that all of it is based in Jerusalem. And there are good things happening in Jerusalem. The church is growing. Uh, people have been added to their numbers. So Acts 2.41 tells us that they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And this became a regular thing. People were saved day by day and added to their number according to Acts 2.47. And we even hear uh, of the M word, multiplication happening, uh, Acts 6.7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So we're in Jerusalem and good things are happening, good, good things. And yet something, when I read it inside of me, scream, get on with it. Jesus has given you a mission. He's asked you to multiply this. We're not meant to just stay in Jerusalem and Judea. We're meant to be in Samaria. We're meant to go to the ends of the earth. And you want them to get on with it. But we find that as we read the book of Acts, they do get on with it. And this thing does multiply. And they do go to Samaria and they do go to the ends of the earth. And really, uh, as the story goes, we find there are three big things that are driving uh, this multiplied church planting movement in Acts. So the first of them was persecution and scattering. So the church in Jerusalem faced a lot of opposition. Many of the disciples had to leave. But as they were leaving, they were preaching the gospel wherever they went and people were getting saved. And so this led to new churches being started in Samaria and Damascus and Caesarea and Antioch okay? and other places as well. So the first big driver of this multiplied church planting movement is persecution and scattering. The second big driver is actually the Antioch church. So this was a church that had uh, a vision for church planting into the nations. They were incredibly generous. Uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, send out uh, the apostles Barnabas and Paul to go and be traveling church planters. And they did it. They gave away their superstars, the very best that they had to get this church planting going. And the city of Antioch became a hub for church planting into the Gentile world. And then the third big driver of it was the Apostle Paul, who was a spearhead for the mission, who led the advance into many new places and got the church multiplying throughout the known world. There he talks about his church planting strategy in Romans chapter 15. It says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, 
not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But isn't it interesting that he can say in this big region from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, that he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, he's not saying that he shared the gospel with every person who lives in that region, nor is he even saying that he's been to every village or every town. Now, what he's saying is that in each kind of area within this kind of big uh, section of land that he's talking about, within each region, he has gone to the major city. He's preached the gospel there and he's got a church started in the major city of each region. And then he's moved on to the next region. So if he's saying he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in that place by planting a church in the major city, then he must be expecting that church in the major city to be a multiplying church that can preach the gospel to the whole region. He must be expecting that church in the major city can go into the towns and the villages that are surrounding it and bring a gospel presence to those places. He must be expecting that people will go out and start communities and start churches and appoint leaders in every place in that region out of the base of this church that he's planted in the major city. Surely he doesn't think that these churches are just going to try to grow big in the city, but leave the outlying areas unreached. No, he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel by planting multiplying churches in these places. And we see that this was happening when we read, say, the book of Titus. And we see that Titus was sent to Crete with instructions to appoint elders in every town. So it's clear that on Crete, there's been multiplication in the church. The church has been multiplied into every town on the island, and now they're ready to have some formalised leadership. So Titus is given the job of going and appointing those elders. So I hope you can see from the Old Testament and from the New Testament that multiplication is something that's on God's heart. That multiplication is how God grows something. It's how God builds something. When God creates something and he's created the church, he builds into it a reproductive capacity that he can create more of the same and multiply itself and make it so that in a few years time, there'll be more of what there already is and it will spread out and it will fill the earth. That's what God's called the church to do. So let's have a multiplying mindset. So hopefully I've convinced you from a strategic and numerical point of view. Hopefully I've convinced you from a biblical point of view. Let me just take a few moments to um, share a few kind of practical thoughts about how we go about doing it and then we'll go to our Q&A. So um, the first thought I want to share is this is really a question of mindset, okay? So what are we thinking about? What questions occupy us when we think about our church? Are we mainly thinking about kind of the congregation that we've got and how we grow it and what ministries we can run? Or are we thinking about a region do we have a big church dream or do we have a reaching a region dream okay and actually uh, these two will vie for space in our head and in our heart so when we're asking questions about what we're going to do next there'll be very different questions if we're trying to build a big church than if we're trying to impact a whole region yeah uh, and actually the answers to those questions will be different as well now, I can't tell you what the right questions are. I can't tell you what the right answers are. All of that will depend a lot on your context. But if your mindset shifts so that you're thinking about reaching a whole region, then you will start to ask the right questions and you'll start to take the kind of actions that make it happen. So you'll be asking questions about what you're doing with your own time. You'll be asking questions about who you need to invest in, about where you go, all these kinds of things. When your mindset is on reaching 
a region, you'll have a much bigger impact. Second observation um, that I make is actually, if we're going to multiply, this moves us beyond the realm of specialists. Okay? So if you've got a church and you want to grow it by addition, you can probably do that by getting a few evangelists into the church and those evangelists can reach some people and draw some people in and your numbers could go steadily up. But if we're truly going to multiply what we're doing, that's way beyond the scope of what one or two or ten evangelists could manage. And actually, we need everybody to do it. And the evangelists do have a special place. And they help and they equip us all to do it. But this needs to be something we can all own. We all need to know how to lead people to Christ. We all need to be able to add people into the church. So we move beyond specialists. And actually, also, if we're going to be multiplying our church planting, we need to be able to multiply our church planting beyond specialists. And this is something that's been challenging me uh, recently, actually. We're really blessed up in Manchester. We've got a, an apostolic church planting leader like, uh, like Colin Barron. But the temptation is with having Colin up here, it's like we can leave all the church planting to him. Uh, and so we can get churches planted when we've got Colin involved. But actually, I think to really truly multiply on the kinds of level that we dream of, we need to all be able to do it. Every church that we plant needs to have within it the capacity to then go and plant another one, which can then go and plant another one and go and plant another one. We can't just rely on a few specially gifted people, as wonderful as they are to have around. We need to all be able to do it if we're going to truly get multiplication going. The next one uh, that I'd want to put out is that it's never the right time, or at least it never seems like it's the right time. It never quite feels like you've got enough people that you could afford to lose some by sending them on a church plan. It never quite feels like there's enough money in the bank that you can fund it properly. And it never quite feels like um, there's the right perfectly equipped leader to take it on. Okay, There'll always be something that means it doesn't feel like the right time. But that's actually where faith comes in, isn't it? And saying, actually, we might not have everything in a line, but God's in it. On our last broadcast hangout, we had uh, Matt and Joe Simmons, and they were talking about uh, pioneering with a young family. And one of the things that Matt said has kind of stayed with me. He said, um, in family life, it never is the right time to move to a new country. But if God's in it, it's never the wrong time. I think that's dead on. And the same applies to multiplying church planting. It might feel like it's never the right time. But if God's in it, then it's never the wrong time. And the last one I want to say is this, multiplication filters down. I've mainly focused on multiplying churches. But if we're talking about multiplying churches, we also need to be thinking about multiplying everything. We need to be multiplying our home groups. So um, if you've got someone who's a home group leader who can raise up another leader in their home group, hand the group onto them, go out and gather people for another group, then you've got a church planter in your hands. We need to multiply our groups. We need to multiply disciples. Actually, on our next hangout, we've got Steve Addison on. Hannah will tell you more about that later. But he'll be talking all about how we can multiply disciples and how we can multiply churches. We need to be thinking both. And the two do feed into each other. We need to be multiplying leaders. We need to be multiplying worship bands. Everything we do, we need to be multiplying. It needs to filter down through everything. And just the last thing I'd say is this. This whole thing, I can't guarantee that it's going to work. Okay, Now, from looking at people who are doing it, it looks like it works. It looks like a great idea to grab. But actually, at the end of the day, 
Our job is to plant the seed and our job is to water it. And all the growth is from God. And that means all the glory goes to God. But Jesus did tell a story. He told a story about three people who were given some money. Okay, one of them uh, was given five talents and he took it and he invested it and he was able to multiply it and turn it into ten. And Jesus said to him, well done, faithful servant. The second one was given two talents. Um, he, he took that, he multiplied it, he invested it, it became four. Jesus looked at him and he said, well done, faithful servant. The last one was given one. He didn't do anything with it. He took it, he tried to keep hold of what he had. He was scared to death of investing it, of trying to multiply it. And Jesus called him wicked. Now, our job isn't to give the growth, but our job is to be faithful with what Jesus has given to us, to, faithful with what we've been entrusted. And being faithful means taking it, investing it, and having a go at multiplying it. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Just a reminder, you can access all of the notes on this episode, plus the Q&A that followed the Hangout at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 49. And we'd love it if you could join us on October the 27th for our Hangout with Steve Addison on multiplying disciples and churches.